Hello, flight instructors and NAVI members. This is John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors, welcoming you back to another episode of the NAFI More Right Rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And today we are, actually, we are recording this before Thanksgiving, but this is going to come out just after Thanksgiving. So I am preparing for Thanksgiving, and by the time you hear for this, it'll be just after, you know, the big events of, of shopping, Black Friday and Turkey Day and everything else. So hopefully you've had a successful uh, Thanksgiving experience. You've had some turkey and you're preparing now for the holiday season, whatever holiday you may uh, celebrate. And as we're thinking about that, I think it's important to remember the pilot in your life, whoever that might be is going to be looking for pilot supplies this season. So first and foremost, if they're not a NAFI member, please remember that you don't have to be a flight instructor to be a NAFI member. So if they're interested in uh, flying safely, if they're interested in learning something new and uh, participating in a really, really great community, um, tell them to be... NAFI members, or maybe sign them up to be NAFI members. All you got to do is go to www.nafinet.org, that's N-A-F-I-N-E-T dot O-R-G, and they can sign up or you can sign them up as a gift, and uh, they can be welcome into the NAFI family. At the same time, we have a lot of really good supporters and sponsors that supply pilots with some cool stuff. So, um, high on your list of places to shop for them should be some of our sponsors and their ASA, Sporties, King Schools, Glime, uh, Foreflight, Jepson, Bose, Lightspeed. Uh, there's a ton on the list that uh, I am not mentioning, but not because I don't support them, but uh, I can only do this for so long, so <laughs> at least without screwing up. So um, check out our list of sponsors, check out our list of discounts, and uh, support them if you support us, and we hope you do support us. So for me, if you cared enough to give me a holiday gift, um, I would love it if you could subscribe to the podcast, maybe find us on YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel. The more subscribes, the more follows, even the more comments and ratings, give us five stars. That would mean a lot to both me and uh, the organization. Cause the more of that stuff we get, the more support you show, the more of these things we can do. And, uh, we really appreciate that, uh, that you're listening to this right now. So moving on, uh, today's episode is a uh, presentation that we recorded at AirVenture this year, back in July, if you can remember the warmer days. We already have snow here in Michigan. And uh, it was presented by one of our board members, Dr. Victor Vogel. He is a reoccurring favorite. He's done a couple episodes already of this podcast where we've had him on talking about medications and other um, medical issues that could preclude a pilot from flying safely. And he actually is kind of teaching about something he's going through personally, and that's uh, teaching and evaluating the older pilot. And this isn't so much about kind of generational differences per se or any of that kind of stuff. It's more of as you 
age, how do you make sure that you're safe to fly? And how do you make sure that uh, you are receiving the instruction that is best for you to maintain proficiency and safety? Age should not be a reason why you shouldn't fly. I know uh, one of our former chairmen, Mr. Ken Hoffman, is an octogenarian, and he's part of the flying octogenarians, and uh, I would fly with him in a heartbeat anytime he asked. Um, so it's, uh, age is just a number, right? So anyways, uh, Victor will have this great presentation. Unfortunately, I wanted to do a video with this and the video didn't turn out. So we're making the lemonade out of lemons and we're just going to take the audio and, uh, and run with it. So it was recorded, I think during the air show is what he says in the beginning of the presentation. So if you do any, hear any sort of airplane noises in the background, remember it is air venture. So I apologize a little bit for the, uh, audio quality, but I think the information's still good. I think you'll enjoy it. And, uh, for the older pilot in your life, maybe it's good to share with them. So anyways, without further ado, teaching and evaluating the older pilot by NAFI board of director, Dr. Victor Vogel. On that note, I want to thank you for being here, and I want to introduce my good friend, and he's become a good friend, Victor Vogel, Dr. Victor Vogel. Uh, he is a board-certified oncologist, a, you're a, a teaching a professor of medicine. Um, I forget which me medical system you're in, though. I apologize. Geising. I'm sorry? Geising. Geising Medical in uh, Philadelphia? or Central. Central PA. Okay. Sorry. Long week. Anyway, uh, he uh, he's taught me a lot, uh, not just as a, a CFI, but as a friend and also a physician. He, and this is going to be a great, great talk. And uh, it's about teaching and evaluating the older older pilot. And I'm one of those. So, Doc, actually Victor, come on up. You have the controls. I have the controls. Um, Thank you, Bob. It's, uh, it's always heartening to see people here during the air show. You know, I always worry about that. Um, and there will be jet noise, and when there's jet noise, I'll just stop talking. And then we'll let the jets pass, and then we'll continue. Um, so I'm going to put on three different hats today. The first hat I'm going to put on, on and off, is my doctor hat. Um, in two months, I will retire after 44 years of medicine, and I'm going to miss it. Um, but the hat I'm going to put on when I retire in September is my CFI hat. So I'm an old doc, but a relatively new CFI. I've only been a CFI for three years. And then the other hat I'm going to put on is the one that I come to you with some humility. I turned 70 in March. So I'm an older pilot, I'm a physician, um, and I'm a CFI. So those three hats are going to come on and off, on and off, on and off. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk to all of us, pilots and CFIs, about the things all of us should be aware of as we get older. And then the last half of the talk, I'm going to talk specifically to the CFIs about what we should do when we encounter older pilots 
in any one of a number of situations. New ratings, new aircraft, IPCs, flight reviews, and what are the things that we should uniquely and specifically be aware of as we um, train, evaluate, and counsel older pilots. Okay. Here we go. So this I got off of a AOPA website. You don't stop flying when you get old. You get old when you stop flying. Um, I think we're all motivated to, to fly as long as we can and as safely as we can. But another thing I got from recently from AOPA, they have something called the Weekly Digest. I don't know whether you ever read these things online. Um, but this Weekly Digest, it's kind of a, a blog online. Um, and the, uh, the title of this is, My Spouse Believes That Old People, and my definition of old people keeps moving, moving, <laughs> moving. Um, my spouse believes that old people should not fly. And then he wrote this. She read an article about how a 63-year-old died while piloting an aircraft, and the only reason they knew what happened is another pilot was in the plane and landed it. So now she's of the belief that people my age, she's 65, should not fly, especially since commercial airline pilots can't fly for the airlines anymore past age 65, although I heard last week they're trying to push that up to 67. It's really not about how old you are, and I'll show you why I believe that's the case. It's not about how old you are, it's about what you're still capable of doing. It's not about age. It's about physiological age. All right. Um, of course, we all know she is wrong. Well, maybe she's wrong, maybe she's not. However, I guess what is, that is what happens when you make assumptions based on beliefs and tidbits of information. And what I'm going to try to do is to fill in those tidbits with actual facts that we have available to us from studies of older pilots. Um, I told her there are pilots flying who are over 80 years old. Yeah, I don't know, you remember Charles McGee, the Tuskegee Airman? He, uh, he actually flew, what was it? He flew a vision jet, I think, um, with a CFI, but when he was 100 years old. That was kind of cool. Um, but Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Then he goes on to say this. This is, this, as a physician, this gets my attention. In my case, I am 65, overweight, type 2 diabetic, on metformin, a statin, and a blood pressure medicine. Well, hello. That'll get your attention. I have a special issue, issuance, which is a PIA. I think that means a pain in the backside. But my, my numbers are still good, and I'm working on the overweight thing. <laughs> that is part of why she, his wife, is worried. I guess it's good she cares. So those are the kinds of things that our AMEs see and evaluate. Um, many of us fly on special issuances. Um, and I've said many, many times that the military and commercial aviation, particularly the airlines, they are blessed with um, flight surgeons. 
medical officers, they can get evaluated probably before any flight. It's pretty hard for us to get a medical evaluation before each and every flight, and so we have to self-certify. Now, just a few demographics here. Um, this, this graph starts back here in when? Uh, 1993, when we were all a bit younger, and the average age of U.S. pilots at that time was just a little bit over 41 years. It peaked in the early 2000s. Didn't go up a whole lot, but it went up to about, what is that number, 45? Um, and then it came back down, and right now, the average age is about 44 years. So you think, well, that's, that's very young, but that's the average. So go two or three standard deviations, and I'll show you that there are many, many pilots um, in their 70s and older. So here's a compilation of pilots that starts at age 14 or 15. You know, those are kids who've got their student pilot certificates. And it goes, this, this table goes up to 30 to 34. And you can see that through 2020, there were nearly 72,000 pilots in that lowest group of ages between 14 and 34. But look at this. I took out the middle part. And here's us older folks. So from 60 to 80 and over, if you add up all of the numbers in this column, there's 153,000 certificated pilots in the US that are 60 and over. That's a lot of folks. So those are the people we're talking about. And if you look at this graph, what this shows is um, 2017 in the uh, pink or magenta, four years later, 2021, and you can see the growth in all of the age groups, um, although the 50 to 54 year olds here didn't change very much, but interestingly, the groups that have the largest increase in people in that age category are the older pilots. So if you look at the size of the blue bar versus the red bar, these people in the oldest age groups had the greatest increase over the period of time 2017 to 2021, which is just a demographic way of saying we are getting older. Um, the pilot population is getting older. So, in the 20 years between 1990 and 2010, as we just saw, the average age increased from about 40 to 44 years. Partly a reflection, reflection of broad demographic trends. Now, one of the hats I wore as a medical school professor was I have a degree in epidemiology. And no, epidemiology doesn't have anything to do with skin. That's dermatology. Epidemiology is the causes um, and prevalence of disease, right? So from an epidemiological standpoint, in 1900, the average age at death in the United States, any idea? 50 in 1900, right about the time my grandparents were born. It had increased in 1965 when they passed the Medicare legislation to 64 years. Now there's a dark government truth. They knew in 1965 that half the people were going to die before <laughs> you could get the Medicare. But then 
we in medicine, we showed them. From 1965 till 2000, the average age of death increased by about 20 years. So now, the stronger sex, those women, they live to be 86 or 87. And the weaker sex, we leave at about 79. But think about that. That means between 1900 and now, in a century and a quarter, we have increased the lifespan by more than 20 years. That's remarkable. And that's what leaves us with the challenge that we have today as pilots and flight instructors. A lot of us folks over 65, over 70, over 80 are still around in pretty good health, and that's what we're going to talk about. So there's these broad demographic trends, and the question we have is to what extent does this impact on the performance of the average pilot? And what I'm going to show you is not opinion, I'm going to show you research studies that evaluate the performance of pilots as they age. Um, and some of it's kind of sobering. And a lot of it, if you heard Tom Doral in the last hour, um, that, that was a brilliant talk. And he talked about evaluating proficiency and the beautiful job and the systems that the military has for assessing pilot performance over time and doing recurrent training and um, self-risk assessments and so forth. And those are the kinds of things we're going to focus on in the next few minutes. Um, is there such a thing as the average pilot? And how far can performance deteriorate before safety is affected? And we're going to talk about the many physiological ways in which performance can deteriorate. Do all aspects of performance deteriorate at the same rate? What role does experience play? And you'll see that experience has a very important impact on performance in aging pilots. Can laboratory testing predict real-world performance? And to today's longer lifespans, we guys living into our late 70s, early 80s, and the women living almost to 90, um, do those longer lifespans and healthier lifestyles um, make a difference? So those are the questions we're going to address. I think those guys are all young pilots sticking their tongues out at us. I didn't really think. All right, so here's a couple of studies. And if any of you want the, um, the citations for these studies, I have them. They're all published in the medical literature. So here's a study commonly referred to as the Stanford study. Three-year period. They looked at 118 pilots between the ages of 40 to 69. Now that, to me, is now middle-aged. That's not old. That's middle-aged, right? And the performance was scored, and they had a, um, an execution of, did they follow air traffic control instructions? How good was their instrument scan? Could they avoid traffic? What did they do on an approach to landing? And then they got an overall score. 
And to summarize a whole lot of data in a very short time, in general, older pilots who had low total and recent total flight time, low total flight time, tended to fare worse. Another way of saying that is if you're older and fly frequently, your skills probably do not decline. But if you're older and fly infrequently, that's where we see a decline in performance. And that's where these studies saw this. Um, and older pilots with high total recent flight time did well or better. So if you take an airline pilot with 30,000 hours, and if those 30,000 hours aren't just They're not, you know, mostly airline pilots fly straight and level for 90% of what they do. Um, if those 30,000 hours also include thousands of hours in general aviation airplanes, those pilots with many, many hours and lots of experience in the kind of airplanes that we fly, they're going to do quite well. And then there's this mild decrease in overall performance that occurs with age, but as I said, it's offset by expertise and good health. It's a good thing to be healthy as you get older. Um, you see, what I've arranged with the air show is it gives you time to read the slides. <laughs> So this woman, Joy Taylor, has published a number of studies related to pilot performance. And most of these studies were done in simulators. Um, and you can see this, this study is 15 years old, but it's just as true now as it was 15 years ago. There is an advantageous effect of prior experience and specialized expertise. What does that mean? Flying uh, twin-engine airplanes, flying complex airplanes, flying high-performance airplanes, specialized expertise on older pilots' um, skilled cognitive performance. What we're going to see is, I'll show you that there certainly is a decline in physiologic performance like eyesight, hearing, um, even verbal communications, um, but that decline in physiologic performance can be offset by experience. Um, more expert pilots had better flight summary scores at baseline and showed less decline over time. Expertise was most evident in the accuracy and executing aviation communications, which kind of surprised me, although I really, we, my wife and I were on a flight to um, French Lick, Indiana over Memorial Day weekend, and there was an older pilot on frequency and he was having a lot of problems with the communications. How do I know he was older? I met him after we landed and went to the Flying Physicians Association meeting. Um, so it, it surprised me to learn that... that communications is one of the first things that we recognize a decline in the older pilot. And even though the older pilots did initially worse, than the younger pilots. Over time, older pilots showed less decline. So in other words, once you reach a certain level of expertise, 
if you remain currency and if you work on proficiency, those things don't necessarily have to decline with age. Um, experience generally works to offect, uh, offset the negative aspects of aging and may play a greater role in compensating for the areas um, that are more strongly affected by the aging process. Um, here's a similar study um, and this second author, Taylor, here at the bottom is the same Joy Taylor as in the previous study. This one's a little more recent to 2010. And again, this is a simulator study, but look at the age range. This is from the very young, the 19-year-olds, to the 79-year-olds. Older pilots in this study were more likely to go ahead and land after an instrument approach if they had inadequate visibility. And I know that this is a real danger, especially if you've got a lot of experience, and you say, I know this airport, I'm landing at my home airport, and gee whiz, Maybe it's 100 feet below minimums, and oh, by the way, my Cirrus has synthetic vision, and I can see the runway right there on the synthetic vision. We're the people that are likely to land with inadequate visibility. These pilots also demonstrated less precise control of the aircraft while executing approaches, and difficulties with flight control during holding patterns were offset by experience. So if you had a 79-year-old who only had 300 flight hours, they didn't do as well as a 79-year-old with 3,000 flight hours. Um, increased age is correlated with poor performance on similar simulator tasks. So, and again, experience can offset the effects of age. Now, what about gender, age, and experience on general aviation accidents? What kind of data do we have there? So. On the left, again, it says there are age-related changes in certain cognitive functions. Perceptual processing. That means how do I translate what I see, hear, or feel into what I understand is happening. So perceptual processing um, and certain effects of memory, performance, and certain psychomotor control. Can I do the stick and rudder things as well as I used to? There are data to suggest, suggest that the more complex the performance, in other words, an instrument approach to minimums in a complex airplane or in a jet, um, the larger the age effect tends to be. Or another way of saying that is the more complex the task, the bigger the effect of age on those tasks. Expertise in complex job performance, including flying, um, tends to develop with experience and age. I've often said when I get on an airplane, on an air, a commercial airliner, and I look in the cockpit, I want to see gray hair up there. I'm not sure I want the 25-year-old up in that cockpit um, because there's some benefit of experience. Um, however, there's this caution. Some evidence that more experienced male pilots older than 60 are more likely to be involved in fatal accidents. And this is, again, this is this confidence-type effect. They say, well, know this, been there, done this, I can handle this. That's what can get us older pilots into trouble. Now, what about over here on the right side? These cognitive functions that do not yet exhibit a clear effect of age tend to be more complex ones that involve several stages of information processing. 
Turn left to a heading of 270, descend to 3000, you're cleared for the ILS approach runway 270. That's pretty complex. Um, those things um, that include things like problem solving, decision making, time sharing, um, those are the ones that don't really appear to be affected because they're so ingrained with experience. Complex performance developed through extensive training is resistant to age effects. Now, this list is kind of sobering. This is a study that was done with FAA employees who had private pilot certificates. Two-thirds of them had single engine ratings. One-third had multi-engine ratings. This was done by Embry-Riddle, and the evaluator for these tasks was a 3,000-hour CFI. Wasn't a brand new CFI, wasn't someone who just graduated from Embry-Riddle, was one of their faculty, 3,000 hours as a CFI, and they evaluated these skill loss, and you'll be interested to see what seems to disappear with time. Landing at an uncontrolled, non-towered field. Now, I happen to live and work and instruct out of an uncontrolled field. It is always amazing to me the language I hear on the Unicom frequency, the pattern approach, the procedures that people execute at an uncontrolled field. And when Embry-Riddle evaluated over a period of 24 months, so these were people that maybe they just got their certificate or maybe they just had a flight review, and two years later it was time for another flight review or they were training for a new certificate. The first thing that the Embry-Riddle CFI noticed was not up to standard was procedures at an uncontrolled field. The traffic pattern. You can probably tell me all, tell me horror stories about people's radio calls, their entry into the traffic pattern, their calls in the traffic pattern. Um, that was the second thing that started to decline. The third thing was a short field landing. Tom Doral talked about this in the last hour. Ask yourself, when is the last time I practiced a short field landing or actually did a short field landing on a short field? In one of my, um, I'm a Cirrus pilot. We have the Cirrus pilot proficiency program, the CPPP. And I flew with a, a great, great CFI, someone you may all know, you see him on Facebook, Matt McDaniel, who's an airline pilot and a CFI. And he took me to a, a field in, in New York. We were flying out of, um, um, is it Stewart, Stewart Field on the Hudson River just north of the city. He took me to a field in my SR-22 that was 1,600 feet long. That was an interesting experience. We got it down. We did okay. But that skill disappears and accelerated stalls. When I do flight reviews, and I tell pilots, and these are, you know, middle-aged pilots, younger pilots, older pilots, we're going to do an accelerated stall. They say, no, we're not. If we do that, we're going to die. Um, and performance in an accelerated stall is one of the things that declines in 24 months. Traffic. 
What about hearing? Um, high frequency goes first, um, and it diminishes with age. Pilots are worse than the general population because we're exposed to, you know, 88 to 95 decibel noise constantly. Um, noise canceling headsets can help a great deal. Um, and it, it really does. And the other thing to remember is that chronic noise is fatiguing. Chronic noise will wear you out. So there are multiple benefits of wearing noise canceling headsets. Um, not only does it help you hear better, but it helps prevent fatigue. Um, and never be afraid to say to the controllers, say again, I didn't get it. Um, and then, you know, here, here's the real humbling experience. What about hearing aids? Um, if, uh, if people are constantly telling you things a second time, um, go to your local audiologist, have a hearing test, and maybe you need some hearing aids. What about flexibility? Um, decreased flexibility and loss of strength. One of the things, as a, a flyer of a low-wing airplane, I love my Cirrus, but boy, do I wish it were high-wing, because getting down there to sump those tanks has now become a real exercise. And I'm telling my wife all the time, I either need to hire a monkey, or I need to get my grandchildren to come and sump the tanks for me. Um, most of the fatigue sets in earlier, I used to be able to fly six, seven hours a day. Now I fly three or four hours and I'm feeling the effects. Um, and fine motor tasks like pressing small buttons, especially pressing small buttons in moderate turbulence gets to be a little exciting. Those things all decline. So what can we do about this? Well, get a physical. Now, understand that getting a physical doesn't mean somebody has to listen to your heart and lungs. That's not what getting a physical means. They need to check your blood pressure, check your fasting blood sugar, check your fasting cholesterol, check your hearing, um, and you know your your flexibility. When I go for my um, annual physical, my AME makes me do tandem walking, you know, heel to toe walking. Try that. Then do that with your eyes closed. Or if you're over 65, stand on one leg. Good luck with that then stand on one leg with your eyes closed. Most 65-year-olds can't do that. Um, so um, those are the kinds of things that we should assess in our, quote, physical exams. Um, an exercise program is very, very important. Um, schedule flights in the morning. Flying late at night is bad for lots of people. You know, the, the classic, you work 10 hours, um, even if it's a desk job, and then you get in the airplane and you do a three-hour flight that ends in the dark. Um, that's tough enough for a 25-year-old. For a 70-year-old, that is a real challenge. Um, my mother was a nurse. She used to get up at 5 in the morning to go work at 7 a.m. And I could never understand why she would fall asleep at 9 o'clock in front of the television. Now I understand. Um, so, flights early in the morning, um, get adequate rest. Um, if fatigue is a problem, allow more time. Um, do frequent stops. Divide your seven-hour flights into two, three-and-a-half-hour flights. Um, we mentioned the headsets. Hydration. I'm a medical oncologist. We tell patients who are getting chemotherapy, 
Nausea is no longer a big problem with chemotherapy because we have great anti-nausea medicines, but hydration for a cancer patient getting chemotherapy helps with two things. Helps with nausea and it helps with fatigue. There have been studies done that say that most people who leave an office job fatigued at the end of the day are fatigued, not necessarily because they've worked hard, it's because they're dehydrated. So hydration while you're flying is very, very important. And you also want to stay well fled. Fed, you, you don't want to have a low blood sugar, so you don't want to starve. Um, and so you want to make sure you eat and proper rest. I mean, these are all the things, you know, our mothers taught us, you know. You got to eat, you got to drink, and you got to get your rest. Memory. You know, I used to be able to remember. One time somebody asked me my driver's license number when I was like 25 years old, and I just recited it from memory. Right now, if you ask me my phone number, I have to stop and think about it. Um, so memory for many things is, it's affected by aging. And, you know, when you get complex taxi instructions, uh, complex clearances, approach clearances, um, I think it's important for any pilot to write those things down, but especially for us older folks. And what I notice is that I'll get it and understand it when I hear it, but in 30 seconds or a minute, it's gone. Whereas 30 years ago, I could hear it and I'd, I'd know what those instructions were 10 minutes from now. So writing those things down um, and using reminders um, to... Uh, help us with things that we need to remember. And it has always been important to use checklists, but for heaven's sakes, for the aging pilot, checklists are essential because we tend to forget things. Um, more difficult to remember things like altitude assignments, transponder codes, and radio frequencies. And I noticed that. I do a lot of cross-country flying. Um, and I have to listen very carefully to get those um, frequencies and who am I talking to? Um, what center, what approach am I talking to? Fly when you're fresh. Um, it's not surprising to know that older pilots do better on memory tests in the morning. If you gave me a memory test, you know, you know that old test, they, they gave you, uh, remember these five things, and they give you a list, you know? A hot dog, a horse, um, you know, a boiled egg, you get the idea. And then five minutes later they ask you, well, what was that list? Well, good luck with that. Um, a cockpit companion. So my wife is great at catching those frequencies and, um, you know, those taxi um, instructions. Um, or things like tuning the radio and programming the GPS. What about decision making? Experience can have a real impact, but aging can also make it more challenging to handle, handle decision-making tasks, particularly if decision-making is complex. What if it involves not only the weather, but the fuel situation, or a passenger need, or something else affecting uh, the safe continuing conduct of the flight? So spend more time doing pre-flight planning, and always have a contingency plan, the what if. What if 
we get into some unforeseen weather? What if the headwinds are more than forecast? Um, what are we going to do? What, what if, um, you know, it starts getting dark and we're not making the time because of the headwinds? Do we want to land early before we continue? Um, fly when you're rested, alert, changes in the cockpit, things like mechanical issues, weather, and so forth. Um, always have a plan B so it's realistic. What about proficiency? You know, the FAA is now very focused, as I'm sure all the CFIs know, um, not just on currency. Currency itself is no longer sufficient. What we now need is proficiency. So what Tom Doral was talking about in the last hour um, was a organized approach for recurrent training, or to say it another way, an organized approach to maintaining proficiency. So. Sure, you need 90, uh, 90. You need three uh, landings in 90 days um, to carry passengers. You need three night landings to carry passengers. But is that enough? Um, maybe when we're 70 and older, we need three landings every 30 days. Um, but whatever it is, set a schedule, instrument proficiency check. You know, the airlines, they do checks every six to nine months. Um, and these are people that fly every day and fly thousands of hours a year. Well, if they have to do proficiency checks every few months, why don't we? Um, good instructor, works well with the older pilot, and isn't afraid to throw them challenges. Like that list of those seven things that decay over time, those are the things that we CFIs should give to our aging pilots and say, well, when's the last time you did a short field landing? Or when's the last time you landed in a 15-knot uh, crosswind? You know, I have a lot of pilots that I instruct that just say, well, they won't fly where there's any crosswind. Really? Why not? Um, you can practice crosswind landings and you can get good at it, but you have to practice. Get the older pilot in new activities, a new rating. We've got a lot of middle-aged pilots in our group of pilots back home in Pennsylvania who are working with me on their commercial certificates. And they're having to do steep turns and chandelles and, um, you know, lazy eights. I love doing lazy eights. It's great fun to teach that. Um, and it's, it's an eye-opening experience for a lot of pilots. It helps with their stick and rudder skills. Um, reading books, um, taking online courses, watching Mentor Live from NAFI every month. Um, the mind is a muscle. I used to tell that to the fellows we trained in medical oncology. I told them the mind is a muscle that has to be exercised like any other muscle, and if you don't exercise your mind, it gets flabby and weak. If the cost is a concern, um, then get a simulator. Some of the build-it-yourself home simulators are great. And remember, mostly simulators aren't about driving the airplane. It's not about stick and rudder skills. It's about procedural skills. And all these things we've been talking about in us older pilots communications, um, clearances, complex tasks like instrument approaches, those things you can do in a simulator. Um, and you can maintain proficiency by doing those things. And it reduces the cost. Um, so do that or find in, in our flight school, we, we have a Redbird FMX simulator. And it's an AATD. And you can maintain your instrument currency in the simulator. And I can give you scenarios and situations in the simulator that I would never give you in the airplane um, because it's safer. 
Um, and it's an excellent way to maintain proficiency. What about right sizing? Um, you know, if you've been flying a, uh, a Baron, you know, or a Beach Duchess or a Seminole, maybe it's time to back down to something a little simpler, a 182 or a 172 or a, a Cirrus. Shorter cross country, shorter flights, um, and find out what the comfort zone is. Um, I know some older pilots who just have decided that they no longer fly at night. They just won't do it. Um, but find out where that pilot is, is comfortable. Um, and bring along co-pilots or instructors um, for more challenging flights. Um, if you haven't flown in Class Bravo airspace and you got to go into it, take along somebody who's experienced or if it's, it's at night or the weather is questionable. I mentioned using oxygen, slower, less complex aircraft. One of the things the insurance folks tell me, by the way, I was delighted. I'd heard all these horror stories about aircraft insurance when you're older than 70. But the, and my insurance this year, compared to last year, year older, 70 years old, it went down $300. Hoo-ha. What I'm told is that if I, and I fly an SR-22, so it's fixed gear. If I wanted to go into a Bonanza now, and I have hundreds of hours of retract time and complex time, that's when the insurance would go up. Because when a 70-year-old pilot leaves a fixed gear airplane, even though it's high performance, and goes into a retractable and a high performance plane, that's when the data shows the problems start. So you may want to consider going in the opposite direction. It may be time to leave that beloved Bonanza and go into that 182 or the SR-22. And bear in mind that there is a learning curve with every new type. I was a 700-hour pilot when I bought my Cirrus, and, and I was 50-something years old. It took me probably 30 hours to get comfortable in that SR-22 as a 700-hour pilot, commercial rating, instrument rating, lots of retract time. A new airplane is very, very challenging, and the older we get, the more challenging it will be. Now, I want to talk about, so that's information that's useful to every pilot, whether you're a CFI or not. Now I want to specifically talk to us CFIs about what should we do when the pilot who's you pick the age, 65, 60, 70, 75, whatever age defines in your mind the older pilot, how should we approach that? And there's a couple of things that I would recommend for your review. Um, the AOPA Air Safety Institute has this wonderful publication called Aging and the General Aviation Pilot. You can Google it, you can download it. It's, um, I think it's a 50-page document, but it has some really good advice about how we CFIs should approach the evaluation of the older pilot. And then, of course, everybody knows 6198, um, which are the uh, FAA guidelines for doing flight reviews and instrument proficiency checks. Um, but between these two documents, you can craft for yourself what would be appropriate um, in terms of reviews for the older pilot. And what we should be always clear with the older pilot is, well, what are the expectations and what are the assignments? And we should talk to the older pilot ahead of time 
and warn them that, you know, we may be doing things that they haven't done in a long time. A short field landing. Uh, we may be doing steep turns or S-turns across a road. S-turns across a road. I haven't done those for 40 years, you know, when I got my private pilot. Um, flight activities, including physical airplane skills, the mental airplane skills. One of the places in the simulator studies where they saw the greatest decline was when you got new avionics. Um, as I said, when I got into my Cirrus with its Avidyne avionics and a lot of buttonology and button pushing, um, even as a 52-year-old pilot, it took me weeks to get that all down. Um, and so those are kind of things. That's the mental airplane. And, you know, what about the speeds? Can your older pilot recite the V speeds for the airplane that he or she is flying? Um, do, they, do they know those numbers? And do they know how the systems work? The fuel system, the electrical system, um, the emergency procedures. Um, they should be given task in aeronautical decision making. You should fly with scenarios when you do your flight reviews and give them a number of what ifs. And evaluate higher order thinking skills which involve evaluating emergencies and contingencies. Um, all these flights with older pilots should involve a debriefing. Um, and then we should make a prescription um, as flight instructors for so-called aeronautical health maintenance and improvement. What can they do to maintain and Im improve their flying skills? So first, what about the physical airplane skills? Can the pilot maintain control the aircraft when you have a distraction? You know, I'll never forget the, I was flying with a CFI who told me there was a cow on the runway. Well, there was no cow on the runway, but for a moment, it took all my attention outside the aircraft, and I kind of forgot about flying the airplane as I was looking for the cow. Um, pilots should be able to perform all the maneuvers in accordance with the PTS, the ACS. Um, get out that ACS, look at what the tolerance is, what the standards are, and talk to the older pilot about that before the flight and say, these are the standards that we're hoping to achieve. And if we cannot achieve those standards, we will practice and schedule you for a performance improvement plan until you can fly to the level of the ACS, whether they're a private pilot, a commercial pilot, um, um, an instrument pilot, or even I fly with some older ATPs. Um, and, you know, don't think for a minute that just because someone's an airline pilot with an ATP, that they can fly their 182 to ACS standards. But we should ask them to do that. And this is a real gotcha. You know, this is a um, DFC-90 um, autopilot from Avidyne. And these are the mental airplane skills in what, what I call the buttonology. Can they program the GPS? Can they make alterations in the flight plan? Um, can they make the autopilot do things that they want it to do and not have to ask that question, what's it doing now? Um, does the pilot demonstrate adequate knowledge and proficiency in using the avionics, the systems, um, you know, the, the bring your own handheld devices? You know, everybody flies with an iPad these days. Do they know how to use all the functions on ForeFlight? I've been using ForeFlight for years and still don't know how to use all the functions on ForeFlight. I still watch their educational videos and I learn stuff. Um, but you shouldn't do that in the airplane. 
um, you should be learning those things on the ground. Um, since many GA pilots use GPS navigators, we CFIs will want to see whether they can safely and appropriately use those devices. Um, and um, when the CFI is not on board, do we feel that they're competent and comfortable with using those devices? Um, and this, this autopilot use is, is absolutely essential. And, and many pilots are befuddled um, by those devices. What about their decision making? So in a flight review, you should give the pilot many opportunities, particularly the older pilot. This is true of all pilots, but particularly the older pilot, give them decisions and ask them questions um, that test their aeronautical decision-making skills. Ask the pilot to explain why um, the alternate airport selected was safe and appropriate. Um, you know, we all know that in given instrument conditions, we need an alternate airport. But ask the pilot, well, why did you pick that one? What was it about that one? Was it the winds, the forecasts, the approaches that were available? What, what was it about that airport? Um, and what are the hazards that we're facing on this flight, and what could we do to mitigate them? Um, and see how well uh, the pilots and information and management skills um, are doing. How are they collecting and processing information? This is this ADM or this mental um, skill part. Um, does the pilot perform regular common sense cross-checks of what the GPS and the autopilot are doing? Um, you know, and there's, e e even now, I mean, I've flown my Cirrus for 17 years, and there are some times when I set things and either set them incorrectly or the autopilot wants to do things that I don't want it to do that constantly have to be monitored. One of the biggest ones is typing in the wrong waypoint. Did you ever type in a waypoint and it says it's 1,700 miles away? Um, those are the kinds of things. And then after every flight with an older pilot, um, do these recommended procedures, and this is another thing that Tom Dorrell talked about that the military does, and this is right out of the uh, aviation instructor's handbook. Um, do a replay. Um, so rather than starting with a laundry list of questions, um, ask the pilot to tell you what happened. Well, what did we do in that flight? Give, give me a, a, a recounting of what, what happened in the flight from taxi to takeoff to maneuvers to landing. Um, and listen for areas where our perceptions as CFIs are different. And this approach gives the pilot the chance to validate their own perceptions. Or it gives us the opportunity to offer critical insight into their judgment and ability. And this is where you can begin to see maybe there's starting to be a little bit of decline in perception, in aeronautical decision making, or in um, skills that likely can decline with age. And then reconstruct the flight. The reconstruction encourages the pilot to identify those things, that, the woulda, coulda, shoulda elements. What might we have done differently during those steep turns? Or how might we have done that short field approach a little differently? Um, and that, he asked the pilot to give you his or her assessment of how that went. And then moving on in this Aviation Instructor's Handbook Guidance, 
the reflection part. Um, the insights, the understanding comes from investing the perceptions and experiences, which in turn requires reflection. So the point here is that it makes a huge difference if the pilot himself or herself recognizes what might be deficiencies rather than us saying, well, you know, you didn't maintain heading or altitude, or you didn't roll out on the proper heading, or you didn't have the proper airspeed on that approach. Let the pilot tell you that their perception was that they didn't have it correct. Or they'll say, oh yeah, that short field approach was fine. Really? I thought the book said we were supposed to do that at 78 knots. For flight, or um, flight aware says, we weren't at 78 knots, we were at 90 knots. Hmm. Um, I hope they're not shooting at me. Um, what was the most important thing you learned? What part of the session was easiest? And what was hardest? So you encourage the pilot to do their own self-assessment with your input in objective evaluation. Um, did anything we did make you uncomfortable? Um, and when was that? And how would you assess your performance and your decisions? You know, what about that decision when I said, oh, our airport just went a hundred and a half, and now we have to pick an alternate. And you picked that alternate that was 90 miles away. Um, and did you take into consideration all the factors that you might have done there? Um, and did you perform in accordance with the PTS or the ACS? And then you redirect the pilot. Final step, relate the lessons learned to other experiences and consider how they might help in the future. For example, how does the experience relate to previous flights? Very often when you fly with pilots, you know, we pilots love to tell our flying stories. And so you ask the pilot, well, did you have a flight that was maybe similar to this? Um, what might you do to mitigate the risk in the future? What aspects might apply to future flights? And what about your personal minimums? You know, I, I've done approaches with a mile of visibility and a 300-foot ceiling in my Cirrus. That was five or six years ago. I'm not sure I want to do that today, but I have to decide for myself in a self-evaluation and with someone else objectively evaluating my performance whether those personal minimums should still apply or whether I have to reevaluate and reassess those. And so that's something that we should all encourage every one of our senior pilots, um, whether it's on a flight check, um, new rating, uh, instrument proficiency check, let's reassess our personal minimums and what we're going to do. All right, so how do we train for proficiency? Well, flying just for fun is wonderful, um, but um, it's actually even more wonderful if you go out and do some of those maneuvers and procedures that we were talking about that decay with time. Um, use a flight profile as a guide um, and develop a regular practice plan. Now again, when you're 25, a regular plan is a good idea, but the skills won't decay as fast as when you're 65 or 75. So when we get older, when our pilots get older, what we CFIs need to do is ask the pilot to do things more frequently and work on the things that they themselves identify that they don't do well, 
eliminate the things that they're just not comfortable with doing um, and maybe add some new things that they just hadn't thought about before. Um, and develop a training plan, discuss and schedule additional training the pilot may need, um, what are their goals that might develop their competence and confidence to fly at night or to lower their personal minimums, like for instrument approaches, um, doing the wings uh, program. Yes, what? Fire away. Five minutes. Almost done. Use a form to document their goals and their plan. There are many forms. This is the Air Safety Institute form. It's very specific. It um, is something that can be easily filled out and completed. Um, and according to the Air Safety Institute, what we should be telling our older pilots is they should spend more time, do things more slowly with things like the pre-flight, the contingency plans, encourage them to fly only when they're rested, to stay alert for changes like uh, mechanical issues and weather, having alternate plans, plan shorter flights, bring along a CFI if the flight is challenging, you know, night, class Bravo airspace, low weather, consider transitioning downward to slower or less complicated aircraft, we mentioned that, and structure the training. So, we CFIs should assess the skills and proficiency regularly, and that probably means more often than every 24 months for a flight review. Probably annually, even every six months would be better. And we should be suggesting to our older pilots ways to maintain safety.